Romans 1, 18 to 32, hear the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever, amen, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Over the years and over the centuries, there have been sayings that Christians have used to kind of sum up what we believe. Some of these are quite ancient. You still see fish on the back of Christian cars, or not Christian cars, but cars owned by Christians. And that's the, the Greek word for fish, ichthus, and that was a, an early acronym uh, that stood for Jesus Christ of God the Son, Savior. And to this day, we still use that summary of the Christian faith. Um, you may remember in 1976, there was a campaign by Campus Crusade for Christ. I found it, and there were billboards around. I, I missed this. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but billboards and stickers and so on, I found it. And the idea was to provoke people to ask, well, what exactly did you find? That was kind of a vague one. Uh, more recently, there was a, uh, a fad about uh, Christian ethics. Uh, people had bracelets that said, WW. JD, anybody have those? Uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Well, there's another one. It was revived in the 70s, but it's certainly much older. There's a hymn from the 1800s that, that uses this as the refrain, and it's simply two words, Jesus saves. In, in the 70s, it was associated with the Jesus movement. There were uh, bumper stickers, and uh, this slogan was around, uh, uh, um, uh, and it's, it's one that's, that's kind of perennial, and it's a good summary. But it does raise a question. If we summarize Christianity by saying Jesus saves, 
that raises the question, from what? From what? From what exactly does he save? Now, the answer to that question is in the rest of chapter 1, chapters 2, and most of chapter 3. And so we're going to be in that for the next few weeks. So we're going to be in kind of a dark section because this section is about from what Jesus saves us. But we need to understand from what he saves us in order to understand how great is the salvation that he gives us. Now, you recall from last week that there was a revelation in the gospel. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, verse 17. And then there's another revelation in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, but the wrath of God is also revealed against its opposite, against unrighteousness. Now, as soon as we get to this word or this phrase, the wrath of God, um, there are those who will immediately raise an objection and say, well, that's kind of an archaic expression. That's kind of retrograde to talk about God as wrathful. Uh, We've gotten beyond that, certainly in our day. Some people uh, assert, assert that this is unworthy of God, that he be wrathful, that he express his righteous anger. But we need to be careful if, uh, if we're going to try to dismiss this idea of wrath, because really what we're doing is uh, we're saying that God doesn't really care. He doesn't really care about his own holiness, and he doesn't care about the creation that he made. And he doesn't care if people trash it and destroy it and destroy themselves and destroy others. If we're getting rid of God's wrath, then we're also getting rid of God's care. We're exiling God to some some distant place where he is not involved with the own creation that he made. And if uh, you want to talk about ideas that are unworthy of God, that's an idea that is unworthy of God, to say that he does not care. And he does not care about his own glory. He does not care about his own holiness, nor does he care about his creation that he made and that he loves. Now, how does he reveal his wrath? Um, It says here that he reveals his wrath against all rebellion. It uses two words that are similar words, ungodliness and unrighteousness. And it says he, he does that because they know about God. And he's talking about humanity in the aggregate here. He's talking about humans in general. And he says that humans know about God. But what they do is they suppress the truth, resist the truth, put down the truth. So the truth that they have, they don't want to have that truth. They don't want to have that knowledge. And so what the rest of this chapter is an explanation in more detail Um, explaining, first of all, how humans, how we know God, how all humans know God, and then explaining how the wrath of God is revealed against our suppressing the knowledge of God. So how do all humans know God? Well, it says through creation, through creation. In verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. How has he shown it to them? Verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So this is a revelation of God that is available to every human being, that God has revealed himself through what he has made, enough 
so that we can perceive that there is a God who is eternally powerful. Those are the attributes that are mentioned here. There is a God, and he is eternally powerful. Now, theologians call this evidence natural revelation because it's how God reveals himself in the nature that he has created. But notice that this natural revelation is insufficient to save us. So the the slogan is not um, natural revelation saves, but Jesus saves, okay? So natural revelation does have an effect, but here the effect is described as negative. It causes us to know God, but in suppressing that knowledge of God, it renders us without excuse at the end of verse 20. So they are without excuse. So no human can say, I just didn't know that there is a God. I didn't have enough evidence to know that there is a God. And so what happens is, in suppressing this truth, we fail to honor God. Verse 21, uh, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that is really the summary of the rest of, of this section. There are three examples that come from here, but this is the pattern. Knowing God, suppressing the knowledge of God, and then the result of that is further distortion in our minds and in our hearts. So that's the pattern. God reveals himself, we suppress the knowledge, and then what God does is he expresses his wrath by letting us go our own way. And we we suppress the, the truth of God, and so we have less of the truth of God. And then we go our own way in our behavior. So the three remaining Uh, The remaining verses identify three acts of humanity turning away from God. Now, it doesn't use the word here, but we could could sum these up under the the idea of idolatry, idolatry, of substituting something in place of God. And so there are three examples of humanity turning away from God, suppressing the truth, and God's corresponding revelation of wrath. There's a repeated phrase Uh, One of the the verbs that's repeated is exchanged in verse 23, in verse 25, in verse 26, and it's exchanging the truth for error. And then there is a, a harrowing expression that is repeated. Verse 24, God gave them up. Verse 26, God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them up. And so this is the pattern, suppressing the truth, humanity, and God giving them up to their own devices, to their own ways. Now, this, this may sound odd to us, but in, in, in human relationships, we sometimes get to this point, don't we? Um, I, I know of situations in which family members have had to give up on, on their loved ones, not for a lack of love, but because of love. Uh, family members who, who, who have self-destructive patterns or addictions or whatever it might be, and, and the rest of the family simply has to get to the point sometimes in saying, we cannot rescue you. We, we need to let you go and see what? See where this leads. Now, what is the end purpose of that, letting them go? So that they might destroy themselves? No. So that they might get to the end of themselves, so they might reach the bottom and then realize that they need help. 
So this is something we do among ourselves as well. And, and we recognize that this is not a lack of love, but this is, in the end, for the attainment of a, a greater purpose. Now, in general, the, the, uh, the pattern is this. Idolatry or wrong belief about God leads to the commission of sin, and God's wrath gives people up to more sin. So it's interesting that sin is the cause, and sin is also the punishment. I, I never heard him say this, but apparently uh, I've heard people quote him as saying this. Maybe he said it. Uh, Dr. Kennedy, the founder of Core Ridge Church, would intone in his deep voice, the problem with sin is that it leads to sin. And that's kind of the idea here. The problem with sinful thinking and belief is that leads to sinful acting, and then that sinful acting, God gives humanity over to do more of the same. Now, um, the three sections are verses 22 to 24, uh, and then 25 to 27, and then 28 to 32. And these are, these are three, they're, they're designed the same way. And um, you, there are different ways to divide it. I read it a little bit differently than the way the paragraphs are divided here. But in 22 to 24, we see the pattern. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So here's the first exchange. And here this is, this is one way to describe idolatry. Giving up the immortal God for images that are in the shape of, of create, created things, mortal things. And then there's the consequence, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. So one way to describe idolatry is exchanging substitution of images for the, the, the immortal God. And then God gave them up to practice these impure desires of their hearts. The second section is similar, but it's more specific in verse 25, and I'm taking 25 as the start of the next section, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, so here's another exchange, truth about God for a lie, and then worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, so there are two explanations of idolatry, exchanging the truth of God for a lie, worshiping the, the, uh, cre uh, the creature rather than the creator, because of that, God gave them up once again to dishonorable passion. So this is a, a similar one. And then it goes on and it describes one manifestation of the dishonorable passions. It says the women, actually, it, the, I'm not sure why these, I, I couldn't find a translation that, that translates more literally how it is, but it says the females. The females exchange natural relations uh, for those that are contrary to nature, and the males likewise gave up natural relations with females and were consumed with passion for one another, males committing shameful acts with males and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, why is that translation important? Because it's, it's hearkening back to what? In the beginning, God created man, and he made man what? male and female. So it's hearkening back to the, the creation order of things and the, the establishment of marriage and the establishment of the, the mutuality of male and female. And it's pointing out that this is a, because they exchanged in their mind the truth of God for a lie, they also exchanged the natural use that was established at creation, the biological use of males and females. So that's the second section. 
Now, the third section is, it begins in verse 28, and it says, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind to do what, they, what ought not to be done. And here there's a play that's, that doesn't come out so clearly here, but one way to translate it is this. And since they did not see fit to approve of God, God gave them up to an unapproved mind. And so you hear, you see how the, the penalty and the crime fit together. They didn't approve God, and God says, okay, you don't want to have approval of me in your mind. I will give you up to an unapproved mind. And here, the consequences are a list. It says they, they were given up to do that which ought not to be done. And here, this is the longest vice list. There are a number of vice lists in the Bible. This is the longest one in the New Testament, a list of, of various sins. And here, it seems like Paul is just kind of throwing them all together here. Some of them are overlapping. Some of them are very similar. But notice that these are different than the first two. The first two have to do with dishonorable passions uh, and sexual activity. These have to do mostly with social ills, the ways we mistreat one another. And so in this list, for the most part, are left out sexual sins, and for the most part are left out sins directly against God, although it does say haters of God. And, and most of these have to do with with humanity's inhumanity against each other. And so the list says, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And then it ends where it begins. It ends with, Humanity knowing God and then not wanting to know God um, and suppressing that truth. In verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So it's not only private practice but also encouraging the practice thereof. So that's the, the pattern is, is clear here. There's the general and then there are three different examples of of how humanity has, has gone, gone astray by, by, first of all, suppressing the truth about God in our thinking and in our beliefs, and then that goes out in our actions, and then God, in his wrath, gives us over to do exactly what we want. Now, um, as unpleasant as this section is, it is a highly useful section, very useful section, since it explains a couple of things that are very important for us. It explains what's wrong with the world. And if you've paid any attention at all to history or to yesterday's news, then you will at times get to the point where you say, why? Why are things the, the way they are? Why do, do humans behave the way that humans behave? And here we have the explanation for that. Because humanity knew God, did not want to know God, and God gave us up to practice all these things that we see. And, and that, that uh, is, is useful. It, it explains why the world is the way it is. But more importantly, it, it's easy to talk about the world, isn't it? That the world is this way. It also explains why I'm the way I am. 
Because if you're at all self-reflective, you thought, why do I have these? Why do I have these passions that are that are dishonorable? Why do I have these desires and these these hateful attitudes toward other people? Where where do these come from? And why are they there in, in, in me? So not only why are they in the world, but why are they there in me? And the answer is because I'm part of this race that God has given over to the practice of these things. Now, um, it also is useful because, and that's the, the function it plays, this and the next couple sections in Romans, it explains the salvation and the need for salvation that the whole letter is all about. In, in verse 16, last week we saw, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Remember that question? From what do we need to be saved? Well, we have quite a long list here, don't we, of the things from which we need to be saved. So it, it describes the sickness for which the gospel is the cure. And if we do not understand the sickness, we will not grasp the cure. We won't even see the need for the cure if we do not understand how grave is the sickness. Now, um, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation, we know that God's giving up of humanity was not final. You may have noticed in the, in the Old Testament reading that Scotty led us in, he read from Genesis chapter 6, where there was an almost complete and final eradication of humanity because humanity had gotten so bad in the days of Noah that God said so, so poignantly, he said, I am sorry that I made them and I am going to erase them from the earth. Can you imagine that, that kind of, 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 uh, of sorrow on God's part? That's how it's expressed for making humanity because of how humanity had turned out. And there was a one little hope, and it was Noah and his family. But other than that, he, 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 he had a, a solution that was to, to wipe them all out. But thanks be to God, that's not the situation. That's not how it plays out in this letter to the Romans and in the New Testament. This, this giving up of humanity is not final. And the reason it, it's not final is because there's another giving up that's described in the New Testament. This, I'm going to move ahead in Romans to Romans chapter 8. Verse 31, Paul asked the question, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? You see, this is the, the same verb. It's a giving up of humanity. In the first, it's the giving up of humanity to sin. In the second, it's the giving up of the man, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And so the giving up of humanity is not the last word. The giving up of the Son is the last word on behalf of humanity. 
The wrath of God means that God is against you, that he has given you up. The love of God means that he is for you. Do you see what Paul said? If God is for us, who can be against us? And how can we know that God is for us? Precisely because he has not given us up to uh, uh, forever, but he has rather given up his son for us. And in being given up by the Father, the Son died for the sins. What sins? For the sins listed in this section. For all of these, and this is not an exhaustive list, but, but certainly these are included. These are the kinds of sins that Jesus died for. And so, and this is a little bit of a preview of coming attractions, God's giving up of his own Son means two things for those who believe. One, you are forgiven for all the sins listed in this text and any others that you have committed. And, by the way, that's chapters 3 to 5 of Romans. That's the message we'll get to in 3 to 5. And you're set free from all the sins in this text and others that you have committed. Chapters 6 to 8. So that's a preview of what's coming. That's the, that's the message. And that's why this dark section here of, of Romans to prepare us for the good news, showing us the darkness so that we can appreciate the light. Now, how do we react to this? How do we react to what's coming in the next couple of sections? Well, we could say, well, humanity is really not that bad. But that's a hard one, isn't it? Uh, back, in, back in the 1700s, that was kind of the idea they, in the Western world. We're being enlightened, and we have gotten beyond all these things. And then what happened? Well, uh, what happened was the 18th and 19th centuries and the 20th centuries, and, and it's really hard to say that humanity is not that bad. So look around. But that's kind of easy to say, yeah, humanity's bad, but I'm not that bad. That, that's a, a more common posture. Yeah, humanity's terrible. Those people out there, can you believe those people out there do these things? Isn't that terrible of those people out there? But you see, if, if that's our reaction, then we're, we're missing the point because we're members of that same race that God has given over in his wrath. So it, it, it doesn't help to try to justify humanity, and it doesn't help to try to justify ourselves. The, the whole point is, of uh, this book is, no, you can't justify yourself. That's precisely why Christ came, so that you might be justified before God, in spite of all the things that you have done. So, to be able to say, to say, Jesus saves, and to be able to say more specifically and personally, Jesus saves me, then first of all, I need to know from what I'm being saved. I need to know from how great a peril. I need to know from how great a loss. I need to know from what wrath I'm being saved. And only when we grasp how great was the sin from which we are saved will we be able to grasp how great is the salvation that was accomplished by God giving up his son for all who trust in him. Let's pray. Our God, we look at this kind of a text and, and it, um, 
is troubling to us because we're part of that, that race that you gave up. But we thank you that that was not the final word. We thank you that you gave up your son for us all. And I pray, O oh God, that you would help us to see the depth of our sin so that we might appreciate the beauty and the extent and the extravagant nature of Christ's death for us. Lord, that you would give up your own son for people like us, a race like ours that turned away from you, is marvelous, O oh God. And I pray, O oh God, that once again the message of of your great love would, would come through to us that we can be saved from your wrath only by your love, can be saved from being given up by the giving up of Jesus on our behalf. And we pray in his name. Amen.